This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC on location, San Diego, Ursa 2018, with my new friend Justin from Down Under, Collective Wellness founder. Uh, started in the industry, uh, I believe, when you were a small child, which didn't break any labor laws, supposedly. Uh, but why don't you take us through your background and uh, you know where you were, and uh, then we'll get to where you are. Thanks, Pete, and really glad to be here. Uh, started in, born in Sydney. My parents had fitness centres when I was a kid, so I used to get picked up when I was 10 or 12, taken to the gym. They had pretty much weights and group exercise, no cardio, no direct debit membership and sort of cleaned the toilets, did front reception, sales, done it all. Um, when I was 19, I was going to university and that was a bit boring. Um, were, you, were you working at the club at the same time? Working at the club at the same time and sort of seeing more future in the club. So left university, joined the club. We ran that for about five years, sold that. Then I went and worked for a few consultants, um, teaching sales and marketing into fitness centres and then ended up in Melbourne working for Fernwood Women's Health Club, which was a big franchise in Australia. And I was their franchise support person. Worked there for about two years and then moved across and um, set up and, and bought one of their, their existing clubs, doubled their membership base uh, and then opened another club as well. So I was involved with them for about six years. Sold up, left and didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went skiing, met my wife, which was great. Had two years off and really needed to get back and do, do something. Wanted to look at moving out of the fitness industry, but I don't know, it kept pulling me back. So um, myself and my sister opened a female-only club in the city and expanded that to two and really wanted to grow that further. But we, we realized we didn't really have the marketing right and, 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 the, and the skills from that. So looking through uh, Ursa CBI magazine and um, noticed Snap and Anytime were growing quite a lot in the US. So my sister organized a meeting with Snap and then Anytime as well, who were both based in Minnesota. So that made a trip nice and easy. Met with the Snap guys and didn't gel as much as, as we thought we would. Um, and then we met with the Anytime guys and, and took about nine months of research and due diligence and a lot of back and forth to make sure that that product would work in the Australian marketplace. Australia was dominated by Fitness First, which was really the only player in the, in the marketplace. So we thought any time would fit in quite nicely with that. So, so when you looked at, at bringing on a brand uh, from the US, was it based on the, the operations, the system, the business acumen, or was it, you know, I'm gonna take a US brand and bring it to Australia and that's gonna create, you know, a lot of demand because it's a, you know, US brand coming to Australia. What, how was the thought process on that? What was appealing about the brand was it was uh, simple. It was still the weights and cardio. You still had to sell memberships and look after members, but we thought it could fit into the marketplace, especially into the smaller regional towns. Fitness First was predominantly in the major cities. So we started our Anytime product in country areas. Um, and then after about Club 10 moved into, into Sydney, we're paying the high rents and we were competing with them. So our target wasn't to attack Fitness First or the bigger players, it was really to try and create another market. And then on the flip side of that, we needed to make sure the franchising side of the business would work in Australia. Australia is one of the most heavily franchised countries in the, in the world. I think it's even more per capita than the US. So we thought there was a market there. The economy was a bit flat at that time. So finding real estate was easy. We're getting quite good deals with the landlord. So that kind of filtered through for the first few years. And then we had a couple of great franchisees at the start who really, their businesses worked and they were... So you were, you were sub-franchising? 
at yeah. the time? Or you did one, you did one company owned? We opened one corporate store. Mm -hmm. um, then the next club was a franchise store and then the third one was corporate and that's all the rest were franchised from then on. So um, we really focused on, on selling the territories. I was running around trying to find property. I'm not a property guy, so we were helping with that and um, really the support. And then my sister was looking at franchise sales and, um, and the compliance side. So if we needed to pay some bills, we'd say, go and get that other sale in. So right. <laughs> I was really focused on that growth in the first few years. How, how much did you rely on your, your past experience versus rely on the anytime business model and the playbook when you, when you first took on that brand? I think it was good being a franchisee with Fernwood. I was with them for about five years, so I knew what it was like to be a franchisee. And as I was going through that journey, they were getting tighter and tighter on their systems. So you need that balance of, you know, franchisee needs to follow the system, but the franchisor needs to be supporting as well. So I think that was quite good. Um, Anytime was very much focused on the US, so we took pretty much their system, and then if we had to tweak it a little bit, we did. But if you walked into a club in either country, you'd, you'd find them very similar. Gotcha. So uh, you started out on, on the Anytime. Where'd you take it before you started adding additional brands to, to your platform? So our original plan with Anytime was to get to 350 open. Um, we kind of smashed through that in the first six years, so we kind of got a little bit bored. So we were like, well, what else do we do now? So we started looking at different brands in the US. So um, we've got Massage Envy now under our umbrella. We've just brought on Orange Theory Fitness and Extend Bar as well. So, uh, so as you were building the Anytime side of the business, how did you continue to make decisions of like, okay, the franchisor should be providing this, this level of service versus, you know, I'm gonna hire a team and build my own infrastructure. How was that? Some of that might be contractual, but I feel like a lot of times it's based on this is what I need and, you know, it just makes sense to, to have it under your domain. Yeah, I think with the franchise model, we were really focused on growth. We needed to get as many units open as quickly as possible. Um, there was an Australian competitor there in the same space and they were growing more aggressively, taking real estate. So we just kept focused on growth and we wanted the business to be a household name, which I, I think we are now. We're the largest fitness chain in Australia by number of members, number of locations um, and turnover as well. But we, we're really focused on just get the brand out there. If they were corporate owned, we there's no way we'd have um, 470 locations open. We'd probably be pushing 50 to 100, so. And, and how's that set up from a, if you look at the 470, do you have a lot of individual franchisees? Do you have uh, a number of clusters where, you know, when you're running a franchise convention, you know, how many people are showing up? Is it We've got about two, 250 franchisees. Oh. Our largest operator has about 15 locations. So we have okay. a few with the, the 10 to 15 and then quite a few on, on the two to three sort of marks. So they, they seem to own a, own a region and then sort of um, grow from there. So w one of the reasons to bring on other brands besides being, you know, somewhere bored um, <laughs> and complacent, I guess, uh, was, was it, do you see the future as some, an anytime member potentially becomes an extend member, becomes a Orange Theory member, and, and then you kind of keep them almost like in a somewhat of a closed loop? Yeah, our, our bigger picture, and I'm not sure if the brands all, all like that, is, is you can join at any time and then kind of access our network of other brands as mm -hmm. well. And as we know, fitness consumers buy a product, they might leave for various reasons and they may come back as well. So we're looking at how we can use our database in the future 
to benefit all the brands and, and the members as well. Gotcha. So um, from starting out in the industry, you know, what, what are some of the, the lessons learned that, uh, you know, there's no shortcuts to success, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you know, you tell me you clean the toilets, you probably ran the front desk, you try to process credit cards, it didn't work, maybe change the expiration date based maybe. on intuition. <laughs> um, you know, what, what are some of the things that, that operators who get into the space, like you, you, you need to do these things because you need to have the experience yourself and you can't just read about it. I think doing the basics, right? Like having a clean club. I know it sounds easy, but the business needs to, to look great. It needs to have a good location and a good culture. And it all comes back to the people inside that mm -hmm. as well. Like a treadmill is a treadmill. So it's making sure you've got the basics right. And then making sure you've got a really good sales and marketing strategy to do that. And not being scared of competition. I think Australians, unlike Americans, are a bit more conscious and, and paranoid about competition, but I think we can all sort of survive in a, in a different marketplace. There's not that many people exercising compared to people not exercising. Right. Do you feel like the Anytime brand allows you to, I mean, it's not, that's probably the least intimidating brand in the fitness industry. <laughs> uh, how, how do you kind of view sales and marketing there? Is it really like an, an entry point where it's not as hard of a sell? You just need to get someone to yeah. A minimal level of motivation? Yeah, we get thrown into the budget market. In Australia, we're not actually the cheapest in the marketplace. We're kind of a, a mid-price. So we focus really on convenience. Uh, we started a new marketing company, an external agency, two years ago, and they profiled all our current members and ex-members and really looked at who was coming, and it was a 25- to 28-year-old male or a 20-year-old female. So we've actually changed all our marketing to focus on those people. And um, it looks more like our competitors of five years ago, whereas they've gone more lifestyle. So we've chosen to go for the market that are coming to us. And of course, if we go regional, we're a different demographic. We're sort of 50-50 at that point. But if we're competing with the big big players, it's predominantly a younger male that's coming there. Mm -hmm. so, um, so so Anytime's grown you know, beyond your, your expectations. Um, you've added Orange Theory. Talk, talk about that. Was that a... Something that you trialed in the U.S. and said, "Hey, this is this will be great for Australia. I should be the one to bring it on." Uh, Orange Theory was actually in the marketplace. I had three locations open under a, a different arrangement, and the the corporate office in in Florida were not happy with the growth, so they contacted us. We tested a few classes, liked it, and really liked the product. Um, the major player in that space is F45, which has just expanded really quickly in Australia at a high price point. So Orange Theory is a much in my opinion, a much better quality product, mm -hmm. quality fit out. So we've now got that up to eight locations open. Um, we've we sold about 45 territories within the first year. So wow. um, really happy with that. And we kind of see that at a, a sort of 150 to 170 locations across Australia. So we're happy with the way that's going at the moment. Um, much higher price point than at any time. Mm -hmm. So we're really looking at which demographics we go into. Got it. Uh, and then from a standpoint of, of the taking over the Extend uh, Bar territory, which uh, for full disclosure, we're a partner in Extend. You know, what was the attraction there? Is it is it a niche part of the demographic that you thought was intriguing? Um, obviously, there was some market share already there. Um, and, and the Extend brand, I think, for people who are in Australia, actually equate it to like the Kleenex of bar, if you will, or, you know, like it's got a lot of brand equity. So how did you think about that uh, as a, another leg to the to the stool? Yeah, we looked at the bar space before taking on Orange Theory um, and really liked that space. With another operator in the US, we didn't take them on. We didn't love their design or, or their programming. 
and Extend was the biggest player in Australia. So we looked at that product and think it's got great potential to even expand further. Um, and when we look at bringing another brand into our portfolio, we don't want to be competing with the other brands we've got, which Extend doesn't. It's predominantly female. It sits in a similar demographic to an Orange Theory, but totally different clientele and it's a kick-ass workout. So Yeah, no, no doubt. And, and from a standpoint of having franchisees all in one room from all the different brands, how is that has that started to happen? Is it more city by city where it's like, hey, you guys should be talking to each other? How, how do you view that as an opportunity and also an education that you need to, to have them understand, like this is not a threat to your business? Because I think that's going to continue to, you know, the, the, the pie is only so big and people need to think a little more broadly about that. Yeah, we have about 40 of the, the franchise sales for Orange Theory as, as any time franchisees. So they obviously think it's a great thing. Not all our franchisees think it is. They think it is competitive. But we've done some studies in the US with clubs close together and, and we've found that that hasn't affected them. The ones we've opened, it's not affecting them either. So we're, we're very comfortable that they'll work together. Um, and with Extend, we haven't had any such issues, which is great. We've got quite a few of our franchisees looking at the Extend brand at the moment and whether it's their wife running it or, or themselves putting it into the portfolio. We're um, ready to start going into franchise sales shortly with that. Great. Next month. So um, the retail market obviously in the U.S. has um, gotten to a point where there's a lot of vacancies, really trophy, you know, type of properties and, you know, first and second floor locations. Not sure the landlords are ready to call uncle yet on, uh, you know, significantly reducing their price or I guess when the banks start knocking on the door to get yep. their money is when they'll change their lease uh, requests. Um, what's going on in Australia and, and how do you view... The, you know, the Amazon effect, has that kind of proliferated in the same velocity uh, as it has in the U.S.? Or are we kind of like a, a market leader in, uh, in hurting the mom and pop retailer? Yeah, pro property's um, probably more like the U.K. and Australia. It's a little bit tighter market. So property's our biggest challenge. Uh, we've got a property team that are really looking at where we can go. We've got a few bigger players downsizing, but not, not really. So... We've decided early on it was a property war, especially yeah. at any time we have to take the space versus the competitors. And the good thing with a few brands now, we've actually got in one of our buildings, we've got two of our brands going into the space. So we're trying to work with landlords on how we can maximize taking a bigger space and putting multiple brands. Or the good thing with Extend is it will go into a smaller footprint, which is more appealing. We're not playing with a snap of jets or at any time in that space. And what from a financing standpoint, just for, I, I don't know the answer to this, but from in Australia, is there a small business, an SBA, SBA loan type of program, or how are people financing most of these franchisee build-outs? The banks aren't that friendly. Um, when the GFC happened, um, Australian banks were fine because they, they're so controlled and, and they don't like lending easily. So okay. we have one bank that uh, works with us for the Anytime brand. They're not as keen with the new brands until we've got 10 open and proven everything. So on the, on the other side of that, property prices have shot through the roof so a lot of people have equity in their homes so they'll be okay. doing putting their house up as mortgage security so not the ideal but it's, it works and from from a standpoint of um the amount of small business owners that are relying on you and your team sleep better at night knowing that you've got hundreds of franchisees do you sleep less at night uh, how, how do you how does it make you feel Probably the more the better. Um, okay. 
we, we go Safety on numbers. <laughs> we go on the scenario that most people are happy most of the time. If ninety percent of our network is happy, we're happy. There's always someone not happy with something we've done or criticizing the marketing. We're very aware that if, if things aren't working for them, they're blaming us. Um, so we really try and focus on making sure they're profitable. And if they're not happy and they're not profitable, let's work on a way to get someone else in there and take over their location because, yeah, no one's happy. Right. How important is the, is the size of your team? In the, I guess, you know, from you know, the luxury of having a, a corporate infrastructure, I think, um, you know, people don't f- appreciate how much work there is to do. And, and Chuck was here yesterday and talked about, you know, I wake up every day and I have to make sure that these people are, are profitable and that we're providing the support and, and they're my customer. And they have customers, but they are my customers. So I'm basically in the service business is kind of how he viewed it. Not He's not in the franchise or business. He's like, I service people that own small businesses. Yeah, our job's to make sure the tools are there for the franchise owners to build their business. Um, and we're really focusing on providing the marketing to, to help drive their inquiries into the front door as well. So it's really having the business systems. We've got a team of about 65 staff and a, a large portion of that is a shared service component which goes across all the brands. If it's finance or, or legal or property, it's all kind of the, it doesn't really matter which logo's on it. And then we have specific people in each team that focus on the brand. So they know the intricacies of Extendbar and how to support that. Mm-hmm. Last question here related to the growth of, of collective wellness. Obviously you've been in, in the US for several weeks now and um, you see all this opportunity. I know you've got a small investment in, in the UK. You know, when do you say, and you told me that you and your wife go skiing a lot, so when do you kind of say like, okay, you know what, I can build an empire, but there are trade-offs to that. <laughs> um, you know, I don't want to be on a plane all the time. I don't want to be on a conference call at one o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, how do you kind of um, define your success and also define like the balance and the boundaries that you're willing to take on because they might matter to you, but they, they might not. I suppose success is um, being able to do what you want to do. Uh, The great thing and the bad thing with emails and telephones following you around is you can be in contact. We've got a CEO in place who who runs the business. Um, If we were in there all the time, he'd be um, annoyed. So we've kind of got that infrastructure there that he's got control. We check in regularly, but we've got systems in in place for that. So I think if I was retired, I'd probably be bored. (laughs) Doesn't snow um, all, all the year around. Right. But as you look at opportunities either in Asia or in, um, you know, some of the countries that are, I guess, a little bit to the to the west of where Australia is, do you kind of view that as a launching pad? Uh, or do you say, you know what, between Australia and New Zealand, you know, I'm, I'm good? Well, we ran um, Anytime in New Zealand for uh, the first three years and then sold it. Um, even the countries that are very similar still have differences. So jumping into Asia would be a totally different environment for us. So we've kind of focused on, on Australia as our key audience. UK is quite similar. So that would be an easier launch pad for us if we were to do that. But Australia's got a lot of opportunity yet. Great. All right. Well, welcome uh, to the US and welcome back home when you get uh, when you get back there and congrats on the continued success. Thank you. All right.